Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. As we celebrate Catholic Schools Week, Bishop answers questions submitted by Bishop Dwanger High School students on topics ranging from vocational discernment to Ouija boards. Submit your question for a future show by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who is going to do a whole episode answering questions from high school students. We had some of the students from Bishop Dwanger High School submitted questions and a uh, special thanks to the theology department and the teachers at Dwanger, especially Miss Jessica Hayes helped orchestrate a lot of this. So, Oh, it's great. You know, I was at Dwanger for my pastoral visit and mass a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. It was beautiful. And then you know, visited a lot of the classes. And then I was back again to have a mass in Spanish for the Spanish students. So that was, so I've been there twice in January. But, you know, Miss um, Hayes' course on the dignity and vocation of women mm-hmm. is an amazing course for seniors. Yeah. And every year I try to go in and I meet with the whole, well, I think there's three sections, so they all get, get together. So then I have a dialogue with them, but it's really a great course. So I'm very grateful to Jessica for for teaching that course. Yeah. And, you know, it's not an easy course, but a lot of students, a lot of the girls, and it's just for the girls, sign up for it, mm-hmm. even though it's demanding because it's so good. Yeah. So I want to thank Jessica. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Ready for our questions? Sure. First question, what was it about the Catholic Church that made you fall in love with it? Was there any subject or event that cemented your devotion? That's a good question. Um, I have to say, during my first year of college, when I had a lot of questions, you know, intellectual questions about the faith, Catholicism had the answers. Mm -hmm. That whole issue of the compatibility between faith and reason, Mm -hmm. I thought was such a strength of the Catholic Church. Did it make me fall in love with it? I would say 
it put me in deeper touch with God mm -hmm. and also helped me to resolve some of those questions. I remember questions I had, and I had some really good philosophy courses when I was a freshman in, in college. And, you know, how excited I was as the truth of the Catholic faith became clear to me, even though philosophy doesn't technically deal with the revealed truth, but human reason, <laughs> it led me to understand better and how reasonable our Catholic faith is. And at the same time, I would say the tradition of prayer that I experienced when I was a freshman in college, that's when I started attending daily mass and kind of growing deeper into mm -hmm. my relationship with the Lord. So that's another uh, thing that helped me to fall in love with the Catholic Church is, is the rich spiritual tradition. All right. Another student asked, is there a religion other than Christianity that has made an impact on your cultural view? I think I'd have to say, and this is probably for all of us really, is Judaism, because we speak of Judeo-Christian culture and our link with the Jewish people who were the first to hear the word of God, and that we have God's revelation in the Old Covenant. You know, some of our fundamental values that influence culture are right there already in the Old Testament. Things like the Ten Commandments mm -hmm. and the teachings of the prophets. So that would be the other religion, I'd say, that has made an impact on my cultural view because it's made an impact on the church. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, the new people of God and the new covenant. Okay. Lauren asked, what is your favorite encyclical writing from Pope St. John Paul II and why? All his encyclicals are great. <laughs> I mean, I, I could list each one and say what I loved about it. I mean, Evangelium Vitae, Veritatis Splendor, Centesimus Annus, so there's his social encyclicals, The Gospel of Life, Divas and Misericordia on God's Mercy was fantastic, his last encyclical on the Eucharist. So, naming one, <laughs> I would have to, if I had to say one, it would be his first encyclical, The Redeemer of Man, huh. Redemptor Hominis. That's only because I, if I'd have to name one, okay. because that kind of is the his first, and it kind of set out the whole project of his pontificate, hmm. and it was really fundamentally teaching that you know about Christ as our Redeemer, that Christ is the center of history, and that we only truly find ourselves and are fulfilled in Christ. It's in him that we find true human fulfillment. So I think that is probably at the very heart of St. John Paul's teaching. So I would put that as my favorite encyclical of his. Okay. Next up, how do I discern my own wants from God's wants when discerning my vocation? You know, discernment is a is a really important process, discernment in one's vocation and there's various elements in the process of discernment so that one is not just saying well uh, like projecting our views on 
what is God's will. So I think one of the things that's really important is prayer, obviously. We Mm -hmm. can only know what God wants by listening to him, by reflecting on his word, by, for example, by reading sacred scripture. But then you have to look at in discernment as at various options. So if you're discerning your vocation, you have to consider marriage and religious life, the priesthood, etc. And one has to seek information. Now, most of us have information on marriage because usually we're raised in a family with parents who are married. Not everyone, though, has that. But if one is discerning priesthood, you know, one needs to look into the life and ministry of a priest, talk to a priest, religious life the same way, talk to a sister or a religious brother. But how do you discern? Well, first of all, if we say what my wants from God wants, you have to have the desire for the vocation. In other words, I don't believe that one can say, well, I think God wants me to be a priest, but I want to be mar- get married. Hmm. So I'm just going to submit to God's will, but I don't want, I don't desire it at all. No, because God plants the desire. Mm-hmm. You know, God plants the desire also in our hearts. So I think one has to be careful of thinking. You know, well, if you don't have a desire for something then I question whether it's really authentically God's will, because what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? This is how we know what our vocation is. Be open to God's grace. Well, he's going to bestow on us those fruits, joy, and peace. And if one is not at peace, or one doesn't experience joy at the prospect of marriage, for example, or priesthood or religious life, then I don't really think one is calling one to that vocation. Hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that the hard part is realizing that there's going to be sacrifice in whatever God's calling us to, and to maybe disassociate that idea of we're called to sacrifice in most things that we do that have value, there's going to be a sacrifice that goes with it, and and not to see that as God's calling me to do something that isn't going to be part of my desire as well. Right, right. So. I think you're exactly right. Um, because every vocation is going to involve self-denial and sacrifice. Yeah. But it shouldn't be miserable. Right. You know, God doesn't want us to be miserable. Okay. Well, speaking of discernment, Mary Kate asked, when single, what would be a good discernment prayer for patience? First thing that comes to mind is the serenity prayer, perhaps, but I can't really think of a particular prayer. Um, I know there's a good prayer to know one's vocation on the USCCB website, and I kind of like that prayer, but I think perhaps it's just one's own prayer in their own words. Mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe some people can be too anxious about discerning their vocation. In other words, that may be with the, the student's question, they're, they're asking a good discernment prayer for patience. So maybe the person, because I know a lot of young people with big decisions to make in their life, like college or, or their ultimate vocation, it can stir a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I think one could pray to the Lord, Lord, give me peace as I 
discern, you mm-hmm. know, help me to be patient with myself. I don't have to have everything figured out right now, but guide me along your way. Give me serenity today. You know, one can pray like that. Now, one has to avoid the idea of, well, you know, some people are just fearful of a lifetime commitment and they can go on for many years with not making a decision. Mm -hmm. Well, that's different. In some ways, that person is too patient, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes we can't keep putting putting off a decision, Uh, you know, so that's the other extreme. Okay. Well, coming up, we'll have more questions, including ones about dying while wearing a scapular, yoga, and more, right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and I will be asking questions that have been submitted by Bishop Dwinger High School students. Braden asked, is it true that if you die while wearing a scapular, you will go directly to heaven? There's no absolute guarantee. <laughs> uh, one has to be really careful if one takes literally that, um, that promise about the scapular because it really reeks of, of superstition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good thing I wear a scapular, but that doesn't guarantee I could be wearing a scapular and, and commit a mortal sin and not be in a, if I'm in, not in a state of grace when I die, that scapular is not going to save me. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be in the state of grace. That's what our salvation depends on, being in the state of grace. So uh, one can't take that scapular promise too literally because it's not just enough to wear the scapular. One also has to be in the state of grace. Does that promise maybe make that assumption that you would understand that? that right, right. Of course, you'd be in a state of grace and wearing the scapular. Exactly, right. exactly. Next, we have Mackenzie who says, what is your opinion on more modern praise and worship music being used during the Mass? Oh, I wish Brian McMichael, the director of our Office of Worship, was here to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I enjoy the praise and worship music because it helps me to pray. Mm. Sometimes during holy hour, there'll be some quiet praise praise and worship music that helps draw me into the adoration. And I think as far as using it at Mass, I guess it would depend on which song and if it fits that moment in the liturgy. Okay. I guess that's my initial answer to that question. And whenever you say, does it fit? Would that be lyrically, musically, or both? Both. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when you think of it lyrically, I mean, for example, a communion hymn should be about the Eucharist. You okay. know, it should be leading us and helping us to approach Holy Communion with with faith and devotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it would especially depend on the lyrics, but I think also, as you said, the music itself. It should be good quality music. It should be sacred music, liturgical. And therefore, not distracting from the liturgical moment that's taking taking place. Okay. And I actually did have a, a two-part conversation with Brian McMichael, maybe a couple of years ago now, about 
what's appropriate for liturgical music and inappropriate and how that's changed over time. And so people can find that if you just search for his name, Brian McMichael at KyleHyman.com, it'll pull it up. Kyle, was, would he have answered the same way or am I off on nope, this? I, I think he would agree with you. Bishop. <laughs> Good. And what's your opinion? Uh, I, I like praise and worship music. Yeah. yeah. But again, yeah, it, if it's... If it fits. fits but yeah. if it, I mean, some of that is made from a Protestant perspective that wouldn't be, the theology wouldn't be right. appropriate for mass, but it, right. there's others that are very appropriate. Right. All right. Someone asked, is yoga against the Catholic church if it is just used for fitness? Oh, wow. Boy, these, these students are really coming up with some challenging questions. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that yoga, if it's used as a spiritual path is problematic Mm -hmm. because it's really, you know, it originated in Hinduism Mm -hmm. and therefore its purpose is enlightenment. And there's an aspect of monism. I don't want to get into all that, but that's, that's not compatible with Christianity. Uh, So I think it is problematic for Christians if they would be, seeing this as a spiritual path because you know they're seeking this enlightenment well enlightenment we believe is is through christ he's Mm -hmm. the light so it's not us it's not centered on self it's christ now there's aspects of yoga that uh, i guess are fine you know the the uh postures and the breathing techniques and things although one would have to be careful with some of the mantras that might be used okay but i don't think you know using for fitness i guess using some of the breathing techniques and postures etc i think would be okay it's not a good spiritual path but one can you know use the aspects of it like the breathing techniques and and postures Mm -hmm. that can be good for health or fitness okay my thought on that was always yoga is a spiritual practice, at least for some people. And if you're doing something different than that, then maybe don't call it yoga because that might confuse people. They might think that you're participating in, in something that's yeah. not Christian. And so just call it something else. If you're just stretching and exercising, right? then you don't confuse people. Right. We've talked about the dangers of Ouija boards in the past, but a student asked, is it okay for Catholics to watch movies about Ouija boards? Well, I guess, what, what, why is one watching them? I, I, I mean, you see it in, like, I think in horror movies, especially. Mm-hmm. But it would be wrong if one is going, to, I think, to watch a movie about Ouija boards, if one is going to, in order to find out how to use them or desiring to use them or something like that, that would not be a good, yeah, then one shouldn't go to that movie. If one is just watching a movie and it just happens to have a Ouija board in it, um, Ouija boards are stupid and harmful. I mean, uh-huh. they're harmful because this idea of trying to contact the dead and stuff like that is against our faith mm-hmm. and can be a path for the demonic. So so it's not a good thing. But I guess watching movies about it, I don't know exactly what, it, you know, I've watched a movie that happens to have a Ouija board as part of the movie where they're, but it's something bad, you right. know? Right, right. Um, I don't think it was wrong to watch that movie. Now, if one is watching a movie because they want to know, because uh, they have this interest in using Ouija boards, then that's mm-hmm. a problem. And you have to watch with children, too, because you don't want 
children to be like some of these horror movies, you know, they're not good for children or, sure. or you don't want to pique interest in something like Ouija boards by right. having children at such, you know, watching this in a movie. All right. Sammy asks, how can one confidently say that the Pope is infallible when all humans make mistakes? Well, first of all, the Pope, papal limit, uh, infallibility is very limited in its scope. It has to, it's, it's that the Pope is preserved from error when it comes to making solemn teachings or uh, dogma about faith and morals. So the whole notion of papal infallibility is often misunderstood. Popes can even make mistakes in their theological opinions sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention other human things. But if they are solemnly declaring a matter of faith and morals that has to be believed, we believe he's protected by the Holy Spirit from teaching in error. Okay. One of our Bishop Dwinger students asked, how can you convince a firm pro-choice person to understand the pro-life perspective? How do you feel about Catholics who are pro-choice? Well, the last question, Catholics who are pro-choice are mistaken and not in communion with the church's faith. I mean, that's very clear. Mm -hmm. Um, When the choice in question is the killing of an innocent human life, how can one be in favor of that, Mm -hmm. in favor of abortion rights? Catholics who are pro-choice, you know, we call them to conversion. As far as understanding how to convince a firm pro-choice person to understand the pro-life perspective, it's not always easy. How I would do it would depend on where the person's coming from. Okay. If they're a person of faith, then I would definitely talk about various scriptures, about the, you know, uh, and, and church teaching, the early church, and how they felt about abortion. But I think also in this society that we live in today, science, science is really important. You know, I would, if, so, if someone's more scientifically minded, I would try to show them what science says about the development of the embryo and, and et cetera, that this is a unique human individual. So I think it really does determine, uh, depend on what is the best way to communicate the truth according to where the other person is at it can be tough you know Mm -hmm. some people maybe aren't open to rational rational discussion you know that they're so maybe blinded by whatever relativism or whatever that it's hard to reason with them and so it can be a tough thing to do okay Um, maybe i've mentioned too i just recently talked with trent horn who's a catholic answers apologist he wrote a book called persuasive pro-life oh and it's got a lot of really great discussion topics and and ways to approach the subject with people that are pro-choice good that might be helpful check that out yeah all right daniela asked how do you feel about feminism well it depends on what you mean by feminism in some ways when we typically hear the word feminism, we associate it with the more radical feminism, you know, feminism that supported the sexual revolution and, and things like that, or feminists who see the right to abortion as, as a issue of, of women's equality. That kind of ideology is, is a a feminism type of feminism that must be rejected. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of feminism also sees often will see that one sex is irrelevant. Well, Mm -hmm. 
we don't believe being man or being woman is irrelevant. But then there is what I could call authentic feminism. You know, I think if you read Pope St. John Paul II, and he has some beautiful things that he's written on women, on the dignity of women, the vocation of women. He has that, that uh, Mulieris Dignitatem, the document on the dignity of women. That's what I would call authentic fe feminism. And, you know, an authentic feminist is pro-life. Mm -hmm. uh, true feminism, yeah, says there's a fundamental e equality between men and women. I mean, that's church teaching. That's sure. the teaching of John Paul II. Things like equal pay for equal work. I mean, that's justice, mm -hmm. you know? So those are aspects of, quote, feminism that are good. Mm -hmm. But again, feminism's a broad topic. Right. Uh, so I would make that very clear distinction about what one means by feminism. Okay. If you have any questions, you can ask Bishop by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Submit your question there or check out past episodes. You can also call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. We've already gone through a bunch of questions, but there are a bunch more to come. Coming up, we'll have questions about what happens to those who commit suicide, uh, feeling worthy of God's love, and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who is graciously answering questions. Today we've got questions submitted by students at Bishop Dwanger High School. And Allie asked, what is the church's view on people committing suicide? Do they go to hell? Okay. Um, well, thank you, Allie, for that question. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and I think it's important that you know, and we can see the church's teaching on suicide in the catechism. Obviously, suicide is forbidden by the fifth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Mm -hmm. Suicide is seriously contrary to, to justice, to love of self, and to love of neighbor, and contrary to love for God. But the, the issue of comes to when you talk about the sinfulness, you know, I'm talking objectively, but what about the actual individual person? You know, the question is, do they go to hell? Well, remember, there are things that can diminish responsibility. Mm -hmm. And in my own experience, and I've known of people who've committed suicide, mm -hmm. I don't believe they're in hell because their responsibility for that evil action was really diminished, if not eliminated mm -hmm. because of a grave psychological problem right. like severe depression maybe someone who's experiencing torture or grave fear or something um i think we have to be very careful and not judge the state of the person's soul like how 
how responsible were they? How free were they mm-hmm. in committing that action? My heart goes out to someone who's in the depths of suffering and takes their own life. I think God, in his mercy, forgives them. It's different if a person is doing it with uh, full knowledge and, and full responsibility as an act of rejecting God and rejecting his gift of life. But I've never known anyone who committed suicide for that reason. Right. Yeah. All right. Another student asked, do you ever struggle with feeling worthy of God's love? And if so, how do you overcome that struggle? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't struggle. I mean, I think, but I don't feel worthy. I know I'm unworthy. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a question that I, I trust in God's love. God loves me despite my sinfulness. God loves me despite my weaknesses. God loves me despite my unworthiness. But in comparison with God, you know, I'm not worthy. I mean, I don't love like he loves. I mean, I think of what we say before we receive Holy Communion. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I mean, my confidence isn't in myself. My confidence is in him. I think sometimes about St. Peter and St. Paul, actually. Was St. Peter, I mean, he denied Christ. Was he worthy of Christ's love? Not really, but Christ loved him anyhow and forgave him. And then, of course, Peter responded by professing his love. Was St. Paul worthy? I mean, he had persecuted the church involved in the killing of St. Stephen. Was he worthy? No. But the Lord called him and he converted. He experienced in the depths of his heart the Lord's love. So that's how I would answer that. I, I hope I'm getting at the the person's question. It, yeah. Okay. Anna asked, what's the best way to respond to those who reject the faith? Always brings great sadness, you know, especially someone we know and love who might reject the faith. The best way is to still love them and, and help them to to return if one can to and to pray for them. I think that's the most important thing. I think to attack them or to condemn them is not right. I think love is what attracts. Mm. So I would never I would just keep loving them. I try to help them if there are certain reasons that I knew of why they've rejected the faith, I would try to help them if they're open to it, to overcome those objections that they have. Okay. Someone asked, how would you suggest inviting someone to mass who has fallen away from the church? I think I'd simply invite them to come along. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wouldn't say you should, you know, you should go to church. I would, I would try to like say, listen, I'm going to mass, uh, tonight or i'm going to mass tomorrow morning i'd love to would you want to come with me and then afterwards we'll go out for a bite to eat or something like that yeah um but i think relationship comes first um Mm -hmm. it's uh i think a person will more likely say yes to an invitation if they're in a relationship with you a good relationship as as friends or you know that seems to me to be the best approach Mm -hmm. all right i feel like this is a potentially big question. Another student asked, 
what is the best way to explain the faith without it sounding confusing? Well, that's tough. Um, I guess the question is to explain the faith. I mean, that's a yeah. big, big <laughs> thing. I would say, well, what aspect of the faith? Okay. You know, like, um, and I have to know who I'm talking to, mm -hmm. who's the person that I'm addressing or in conversation with, you know, and what's their level of, of knowledge. There's all kinds of people who are at all different kind of places in their spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Some who know a lot about the faith, some who know a little bit about it, some who may be Christians but not know enough about Catholic faith. I mean, someone who may grew up with no faith. So you have to kind of know where the person is and begin there. Okay. You know, so for example, if I'm talking to someone who has had no religious background, no upbringing of faith, I wouldn't start by talking about purgatory. <laughs> I would start by talking about God yeah, yeah. and God's existence. You know, if I'm talking to a Protestant who has good knowledge of scripture, knows about Jesus, prays, but really doesn't know much about the Catholic faith, mm -hmm. I would probably start by talking a little bit about the nature of the church okay. as the body of Christ and a little bit about the beginnings of the church and how Christ set up the church with Peter and the apostles and their ministry con continuing in the ministry of the Pope and the bishops. As far as it not sounding confusing, I think it's important just to be clear and focus on the key points without getting into all kinds of things. I, I would say, you know, what are the questions that the person has? Okay. And try to answer the questions of the person one is speaking to. All right. Aaron asked, have you ever been questioned on a topic you did not know the answer? <laughs> yeah, um, sometimes here on Redeemer Radio. <laughs> <laughs> so if so, what was it? Oh, okay. Um, well, you know, one, I think it was this past year when we had that question that came in on Redeemer. This keeps me on my toes. Okay. Uh, on polygenism and whether it could be reconciled with the Catholic faith. Do you remember that? Yeah, remind me that what there was more than one more than one human couple at the beginning of the right, human race. Right. And really, I had to do some study on that. Because uh -huh. uh, when that question came in, I wasn't really ready to answer it. And I got fascinated. I started reading too much because it was, I was, <laughs> it was getting in the way of my other work. But I, you know, I'm part of this group now of Society of Catholic Scientists uh, as their Episcopal moderator. So I have these oh, really? scientists I can talk to now. And uh, so that was a fascinating issue for me to look into. I started reading because I'm kind of one of those persons I get a question that I don't know the answer like and then I become curious and I really starts bothering me like I want to know the yeah. answer so I'll start reading so so yeah I mean that does happen sometimes well I think that's a, a good message for all of us that when we don't know the answer to a question not to make something up or or just pretend like there is no answer to it and just say nah, I don't know but to go and find the answer let me get back to you yeah. And, you know, do some research or do it together or something like that. Not yeah. To, yeah. Not you know, sometimes there'll be questions on bioethics. You know, I, I, I you know, okay. I, I visit some of our, when I visit the high schools and I'm in a religion class or a, a science class and a question will come up and I don't know, you know, like I know <laughs> the basic, you know, I know the teachings of the church on the basic things about bioethics, but there's some new things happening in bioethics sure. that I never sure. heard about. Right. And I say, well, wow, how's the church? Gonna, you know? So yeah, I think we have to be honest, mm -hmm. you know, when we don't know yeah. and then try to seek answers. Yeah. 
All right. Someone asked, what is your favorite way to pass the time? You know what? I wish that that was something that was a problem for me. <laughs> I don't get free time like I would like. Need more hobbies. Yeah. Something yeah. to keep me busy. Oh, my goodness. I, I, yeah. I would say three things probably. I would say prayer, reading, and, well, maybe four things. Prayer, reading, time with friends, and exercise. Uh-huh. You know, I wish I had time like to go out, just ride my bike, get exercise. I wish I had more time uh, to spend a day in prayer. I have like a pile of books uh-huh. on my dresser that I've been wanting to read. And I'll pick one up maybe late and start reading something. I love reading, but there's a lot more I'd like to read. Um, so these are all things I enjoy doing. It's For me, it's not I'm not looking for ways to pass the time. I'm looking for time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> time to pass. All right. You can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash Ask Bishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have more questions from our students at Bishop Dwinger High School about World Youth Day, the Pope, cherishing silent parts of your day, and more. Here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and I will be asking questions that have been submitted by students at Bishop Dwanger High School. Megan asked, what are things you recommend to strengthen your prayer life? I think one of the most important things is consistency and, mm-hmm. and discipline. It's good to have a set time. You know, otherwise we forget right. and we don't pray. We go through our day and we're too tired at the end of the day. So I think that self-discipline to be consistent, you know, say, okay, make it a real habit to have, even if it's just 10 minutes in the morning, five minutes in the middle of the day, you know, 10 minutes before going to bed, at least as a beginning, you know, and as one grows to have, you know, add to that time. But the other thing to, I'd recommend is, you know, you, you need to find a quiet spot, a quiet place because we're so easily distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something I recommend to strengthen one's prayer life is to to have a place. And I'd say, look at methods that work for you. You know, it's not like some people think, oh, I have to pray this way or that way. Well, we're all kind of different. We have so many rich ways of praying in the Catholic Church that for some of us, and it might depend on the day uh, where, you know, we really love praying the rosary or praying with Holy Scripture or going to adoration, I think one looks at, okay, what's most fruitful in my life? What is drawing me closer to Christ? What do I really enjoy? And, you know, go with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those are just some ideas. All right. Samantha asked, how do you cherish the silent parts of your day? Well, I really do cherish them, especially early morning. And really, having silence is, is necessary for me. You know, I'm more of an introvert. I think that's come up on this before mm-hmm. that I need some of that time alone. And uh, but silence is—we all need silence. We need to make space in our lives for silence. I think we all are energized when, not only energized, um, we lead a more insightful life. I would say um, mm-hmm. if we take silence, so that we're just not wrapped up in noise and busyness all the time right 
Another student asked, what is the Pope like in person? Pope Francis is, I, I mean, the word that always comes to mind first for me is he's very warm. Uh-huh. He's a very warm person. In talking to him, his attention, his his warmth and kindness, I think are, are pre- predominant in my one-on-ones with him. I feel very comfortable in his presence, very free to talk, and, you know, especially at the odd limit of visit. I mm-hmm. mean, he spent two and a half hours with us bishops. He was not in any hurry. He mm-hmm. was there for as long as we wanted to be. Okay. Grace wanted to know, what saint inspired you to enter the priesthood or helped you realize your vocation? Looking back, I'd say the saint I chose for confirmation, St. John the Apostle. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's always been the one. I mean, his presence there at the Last Supper at the side of Jesus, resting his head on our Lord, there at the foot of the cross with Mary, his closeness and care for Mary. Yeah, he would definitely be the one who inspired me most, helped me to realize my vocation. I see him as not only apostle, but also priest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'd say, you know, he wasn't a saint at the time, but certainly St. John Paul II is the one who helped me to realize my vocation. He's the one who, his thought and his witness, his example formed me Mm -hmm. as a priest. All right. Someone asked, what do you find most rewarding about your job? Well, definitely three things. One is celebrating the sacraments, Mm -hmm. uh, preaching, which I love, and leading people to Christ. I love being out in our parishes and schools and other places, communities. I find it so rewarding to serve God in this way. It's very rewarding when I see that I've helped someone in their journey of faith, if I've been able to be an instrument of God's love or His mercy. You know, hearing confessions, for example, or preaching a homily that maybe has touched someone and helped them in their spiritual life. There's very many examples of that. So I'd say priestly ministry has been a joy for me, and ministry as a bishop very much a joy for me. Okay. There were several students who asked, what was your favorite part about the World Youth Day in Panama? Definitely the time with the young people from our diocese and our seminarians who were along, just to, at the masses that we had together, but also at meals. We, you know, we had two excursions, one to the Panama Canal, the other to a tropical rainforest down there. I had a great time. Uh-huh. And just those informal interactions with them, just the fun yeah. part of it, too, was great. But then praying together at the masses, and then when we'd walk around and visit the churches, et cetera, or when we're in the boats, all those things. So, so really, I'd say the favorite part for me was the time with our youth. Uh-huh. Now, I enjoyed the big crowd and I enjoyed seeing the Pope and all that too. And I enjoyed touring around and seeing some of, you know, walking around Panama City. But my favorite time was the time with our youth. Okay. Carrie asked, what has been the most inspirational and life-changing trip you've been on? Well, would going to Rome for studies be considered a trip? That's a, that was a big, large trip. <laughs> that was a large trip. I mean, that definitely was the most life-changing for me, sure. the seven years I spent in Rome. Uh-huh. But if they're talking more about like vacation kind of trips or CRS trips Pilgrimage, or whatever, yeah. I've been to about 40 countries. I forget how, you know, wow. and, you know, that's I've, I've just had so many amazing experiences. I, I'd say the Holy Land I've mm-hmm. been to three times. Once with CRS, once with the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre, and once as like a study tour when I was a seminarian. I mean, 
that was definitely um, kind of life-changing to mm -hmm. be there in that land where our Lord walked, where he performed his miracles, where he taught, where he was born, where he died, rose from the dead. I mean, that'll always be with me. Sure. Um, the other was probably Greece, finding my relatives. Um, but then also, I just love Greece and 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 actually part of Turkey when I went in the footsteps of St. Paul and St. John and was able to be at some of those places. It was kind of like being in the Holy Land. So those are my favorite, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again to the students and teachers at Bishop Dwinger High School for their questions and special thanks to theology teacher, Miss Jessica Hayes for her assistance getting this lined up. A lot of really great questions. Any final words of wisdom to our high school students? Wow, that was a workout, all those questions. <laughs> now, I just sent my greetings. I, 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 are they going to be listening to this on the radio? I hope. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. just my special thanks to, to Miss Hayes and also to uh, all of the theology department teachers at, uh, at Bishop Dwanger. They're a wonderful group. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the students. Students, I love you. You're my prayers, and uh, please pray for me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Yes. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.